You know a lot about golf. Well, we're waiting. John Ashton in the studio, Jeff Smith in the golf cave at Otter Creek, Columbus, the plain and simple golf school, his triumphant return after a uh, interminable road trip, it seems, uh, intrepid producer Mark Hunter on the controls, collectively known as those weekend golf guys. Another week is done. It's time to sit down and talk about golf for a while and have some fun doing it. So Jeff, I had you some fun doing it all in my, in my interminable road trip. I was talking golf a lot too, but you know what? Now I get to sit in the confines of the cave yes. and do it. Yeah, which is different than driving my fanny around the eastern seaboard doing it. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. It's okay. Had a good time. Did some teaching with some, some great teachers. Had some, had some really cool students out, out east and got to watch a little bit of golf. So There you go. And then I drove all the way from the eastern seaboard uh, from Long Island through Pennsylvania, through Ohio, through Indiana, and wound up in Chicago yesterday. And now I am here having some fun with y'all. Back home again in Indiana, yep. as, as Gomer Pyle used to say. Yeah, sir. <laughs> <laughs> so do golf teachers learn anything when they're teaching golf? Yeah. Slightly different forms of communication. You know, how we go about it. Why is one guy having success? Um, we're not saying different things a lot. Some we are, some we're not. But sometimes it's how we present it, how we can get the message across, so that way the students get better because we were better communicators mm-hmm. at what they need to be doing to be better at what they're doing. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so a lot of times the, the best learning for teachers is just when they're hanging around other teachers. Not just watching them teach, but sometimes it's the, hey man, what are you doing? How are you doing it? When you see somebody like this, what's your first course of action? How are you attacking the problem? You know, and sometimes we just share that. Yeah, one, one of the things that people always say about when choosing a teacher is that you have to choose somebody that you can get along with. That, oh, yeah. That you like. Um, what... And I'm sure it works the same way from the teacher's standpoint. I mean, you're not just sitting there, you know, taking money from anybody. There's some people you say, I just can't work with this guy or girl or whatever. You know, the, the thing I, I realize now, there's a few people that, that I get it that, you know, that come that might rub me the wrong way in some social situation. But mm-hmm. the, the difference is this, is when they come to me, I'm the expert in the field. They know it. And they are essentially saying... I need your help. And they are now a, a listener and a learner. And I am the one who is diagnosing the problem, figuring out what to do, giving it to them. And so the personality things tend to go away okay. during that time. I may not want to go out and have a beer with somebody afterwards. It's my choice. It's yeah. choice. Right. Exactly. Is That's there how that is? But do, in that situation, yeah, it's it's different. Would would a uh, potential student have to have a lesson to know if they can uh, deal with you or not, or are there like a series of questions that uh, you would like them to ask you to know that uh, everybody's on the same page? Um, you know, like personality test things. No, like you know, whether or not you could just you know you help them 
if if the guys get realistic expectations, I guess it's probably the main thing you'd want to know, isn't it? Well, you know, sometimes what I do when I, I do interview people and we talk a little bit, you know, and I kind of get a handle on where they are and where they want to go and how fast they want to get there. Right. Okay. And, you know, and then I, I start to tell them about time frames before I tell them, hey, look, you know, there are some people you and I both know that there are some people who are not going to be able to achieve their goal because their goal is unrealistic for who they are. For example, a guy who says, well, I want to play the tour, but I have a 40-hour-a-week job that I cannot give up. <laughs> okay? Yeah. Now, we did not say anything about talent or age or any of that, right? Right. right. I just talked situations. I want to do this, but I'm stuck doing that. So then we start to have realistic conversations about not the level of play that it takes to get there, but how's he going to overcome that hurdle? Because if he never gets a hold over that hurdle, then in terms of the 40-hour work week to do something else, he will never practice enough to get to the level he needs to to play any kind of tour at all. He, he won't because of the time. Because the people who are actually out there are spending the same amount of time that he is. They're actually working on their game during that time, and he doesn't have time for that. Yeah, so, don't don't be uh, don't be an idiot. Don't think you're going to get on the tour practicing, you know, four hours on the weekend and playing one round on Sunday. Yeah, that and ain't, and ain't so get there, man. right. So when when you say to me, hey, you know, what about these people, and you know, who are you working with, and and you know, how do you do you know if you're going to get along? Sometimes it's a matter of understanding where they're coming from, um, and adapting very quickly to how I can help them best and yet get them on their way to their goals. And then once you do that, then they realize how hard that step may or may not be depending on the person. And then they readjust their goals, and I never really have to tell them, hey, look, pal, you're not, you're not going to get there. You're 29 years old, and you're a six handicap. And you're working and you're, for a living. And you're working for a living, there you and go. you're maxed out from a time standpoint. Yeah, You're yeah. not going to get better than a six handicap if you're working that much in the time you're working and you're only able to produce this much effort into your golf game, you're, you're kind of peaked out. What we have just and done so, in a roundabout way, however, is um, basically set, set the stage for Jeff Smith imparting some wonderful lessons, no matter how hard you're working. Because you got about another 45 minutes to spend with us, right? So do that. It won't kill anybody. We are those weekend golf guys, and we will be right back. Hey, those weekend golf guys, it is us. We are here, John Ashton in studio, Jeff Smith, the Golf Cave, intrepid producer Mark Hunter. That is the gang. Okay, so we have already set the stage. Hopefully you're sitting here going, well, my my expectations are realistic. I don't uh, expect myself to uh, start shooting 70s, even though my average score is 98 today. Right? But, you know, but I mean, that is possible with, with attention to detail and with... Uh, a practice regimen of some sort, but really, you know, let's let's just say. Well, let's let's get back to the to the other side of this coin, okay? Um, yes, I have gotten some complaints about you. Oh, brother! Yes, I have. In which form? 
uh, of people, you know, and, and I have I have experienced it myself. After sitting and and studying just for a short while with you and taking a few tips, not even a lesson, but just some tips, some suggestions. Yeah. Uh, my iron game has gone to pot because let me tell you what I did. I was, I was out on Sunday, man, and I was 152 yards from the middle of the green. I said, this is perfect because now, because of Jeff, I know how to hit my seven iron straight, and that's my 150-yard club. Bam, sounded sweet, didn't feel yeah. it hit. High, high, straight shot that went over the green. Oops. And I am not the only person who has registered this complaint. I would like to apologize to anybody that I, if I have misled anyone by not saying you're going to hit it farther, so you better recalibrate. I'm so sorry. Sorry, that's my usual disclaimer, far, and I must have missed that <laughs> during long. a couple of shows. Not bad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What were you thinking? Yeah, uh, you know, but then we can talk about pitching practice in the next one. <laughs> yeah, okay. We can do that, too. The but, pitching down the hill from an, uh, an uphill lie, which means you've flown it over the green again, <laughs> and then you have to pitch it, and it's going to run away from you. Let's talk about that shot. Well, okay. Just, why, don't we, why don't we talk about the ones where you're in the wrong, not me, huh? <laughs> uh, is, is that going to be a short show, isn't it? Yeah, probably. We need more material yeah, than that. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. I mean, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a terrible problem to have to live with. But it still puts a smile on your face. Yeah. For some reason. To sit there and go, wow, I hit that well. That's the biggest thing in golf, right? For for an awful lot of people. Yeah. Is to strike the ball well. Yeah. You know and I know it's what they want. Yep. Yes, everybody wants lower scores, but they want to do it not by luck. Yeah. They want to do it via some skill. They want to have struck the ball solidly and watch it go farther in the air and higher. Yeah. They want that. Yeah. So I was playing so, I was playing with a regular playing partner on Sunday. Yes. And at, at least one of the two of us was paying attention, which was good for me cuz we finally got to a par 3. It was 173 yards downhill. Okay? Yep. I have played that par 3. I mean, that's at the course I play normally. And I have played that hole repeatedly. I take my 5 iron and I'm on the green or I'm pin high left or right or whatever. Okay. Uh huh. And I walk up and he said, you bring in your six. I said, no, I got my five. He said, go back and get your six. I said, I always use my five. He said, John, go get your six. I said, okay. <laughs> he said, listen to your caddy. I said, okay, not a problem, man. You know, I'll do it. Right. The only hole I birdied all day. Pin high, about three-foot putt for birdie. Well, it sounds to me like somebody needs to pay attention a little bit more to somebody who sees the fact that he's hitting it farther than or, he normally does. Or bring that friend with me every time. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... Pay attention to him, too? Well, what it was is, man, I don't... I guess I just don't trust it. You know, how, how often do you have to do it before you can trust it? I guess that's the question. Um... You know that that's a big that's a big question. So actually, it's a very good question because lots of people have trust issues because they've hacked it around for so long mm-hmm. that there is no faith or trust mm-hmm. that they're going to do anything less than that, and they still have that floating question in their head of what's about to happen here. Yeah, 
while still standing over a ball. And which having is, that question as is, we know, a, is, is very difficult. And having having those those negative thoughts is a good way to see to it that you know you're not going to hit it as far. Yeah, it is. You know, it it is one of those things that we can do to ourselves that, as you and I both know, people continue to do is they put themselves in a situation where they're just not going to perform their best because they're standing there doubting uh, what's going on while they're doing it. And so um, kind of tough to to be as good as they can when their mind is distracting them and taking them down a, a hole that's not all that great. So what you need to do is you need to pay attention to Jeff. Uh, if you're having problems with your irons, and who isn't? Okay, yeah, that's what I thought. None of us. Um, what you need to do is just uh, get in contact with Jeff. You can get to Jeff through our Facebook page at facebook.com slash golfguys. Yeah, send me the videos. Yeah, you there's know, a contact send me form some good videos. at the bottom of the homepage at thoseweekendgolfguys.com. Just scroll all the way down the bottom. It'll say, you know, send us a message. And uh, with all of those, you can upload a video to go along with it, a little attachment, and Jeff will get back to you. Uh, up close and personal, so to speak, because I have to tell you from personal experience, there is nothing that feels better than hitting an iron straight and high and not feeling it when you contact the ball. That cutting yeah. through butter feeling is something that you will lie in bed that night and dream about. Trust me on this one. And when you do it consistently, oh, I mean, there's no way you can keep yourself off the golf course that way. Uh, we are going to uh, talk about wedges. Which one, when, how, where, and why? Coming up next when we come right back. We are those weekend golf guys. Don't you move. Hey, those weekend golf guys, it is us. We are here, John Ashton in studio, Jeff Smith, the Golf Cave, intrepid producer Mark Hunter. That is the gang, collectively known as those weekend golf guys. Of course, uh, two of us play on weekends. One of us actually helps. Um, (laughs) I wish I was getting to play a lot. And he has helped substantially these two guys. I got to tell you, and he can help you too, as we mentioned, thoseweekendgolfguys.com. Just scroll down to the bottom of the page, and you can send a a message uh, Upload a video and stuff. You can also get through to Jeff at Facebook.com slash golf guys. I have got to tell you, man, I have a go-to wedge, and I don't know if I'm doing this right or not. It's just one I feel comfortable with, and that's my sand wedge. Yeah. 56-degree sand wedge. It's the one I use most often. Now, there okay. are times when I will go with the lob wedge because I need, you know, a shorter hire. You know, like I got to get over a sand trap, and I need it not to roll out too much when it lands and stuff like that. What what is the criteria that you use for which wedge you use in what situations? Well, a lot of times I like looking at what's required of the shot. Okay. And and so and what I mean by that is do I have to force the club through some heavy rough because contrary to a popular belief, the rough is not just going to turn your club face to the left. It's going to slow it down. Okay. That's really what's going to happen. Do I have to fight through a lot of rough to get to the golf ball, meaning these are tall grass behind it? Mm -hmm. Or do I need to have the ball fight through a lot of grass just to get up into the air? Maybe there's tall, thick grass right in front of it. Mm -hmm. In which case, it tells me that I'm going to need to put the ball, you know, more forward or more back. 
It's going to tell me, do I need more initial launch angle, a little, little more loft right away? You know, it's going to tell me those things. And then, do I need to fly it up over something or not? And if so, do I need the extra trajectory of, say, maybe a lob wedge? When I do that, do I need the extra trajectory help to help stop the ball quickly? Or do I want it to get up in the air like with a 56, but when it lands, it's coming down on a little shallower angle and then roll out? So, you know, I kind of let the, the situation dictate the shot. So maybe, you know, I got to go over the lip of this bunker and I need it to stop pretty quickly. So what I see that's going to happen there is I'm probably going to take my highest lofted club. I'm probably pulling out the lob wedge. Okay. And I'm probably going to put that thing on the front side of center. And so that way when I move my club in a, in a kind of a steep coming into the golf ball manner... I'm going to be moving the club down, cutting through the grass behind it, but the ball's forward in the stance, so that way when it's moving down, the club face is actually facing up. Right. Yeah. Right. So I don't want to have to turn the club and you know move the club face to the right and raise that leading edge and potentially skull it like I know a lot of people do. I just want to move the ball more forward. I want to make sure that I have a nice, high, soft, safe shot so that way I, I don't have too many issues. Yeah, and that's kind of a big thing. I let the situation tell me what's really going to happen. Okay, well, let's, let's explain that a little bit because um, you know what you meant by, you know, the situation will dictate if you want it a little farther back or a little farther sure. forward. At, at what are the situations All right, for those so of us who I don't know? let's say that I have to loft it up over a bunker and, I, and I've got, oh, a medium rough lie. So it's not really terribly thick in, behind it or terribly thick in front of it. Mm-hmm. So I can get the club on the ball. But what if I need to stop it quickly? You know, it's got to fly, say, 10 feet in the air, and then, but yet it's got to stop within about 10 feet yeah. of landing. I need a little trajectory help, so I'm going to go at this with a high lofted club. I'm going to go with a 60. And then I'm going to put the ball more forward in my stance and come at it a little steeply, so I'm moving the club down, the ball pops up in the air, and it's got some spin. So that situation tells me that I really wanted one that didn't roll out much. So I wanted a higher trajectory, a steeper trajectory of the ball coming into the green with some spin on it. Okay. And then there's another situation where my ball could be in the exact same place, but the pin is 20 yards away, and I get it to roll a little bit. So maybe that one, I'm going to take the 56 degree and put it um, not forward, but so the back of the ball is right at the middle of my stance, and I'll come into it not nearly as steep so the ball will still pop up out of the grass. It'll come in a little lower on the trajectory. And then when it, ro- when it lands about 10 feet, it will roll out about 10 more feet. So that's what I'm looking for is to try to change the flight of the golf ball and then what happens when it lands there. So a ball you know, that's a little further back. Now, when I say that, the back of the golf ball is still at the center. Yeah. And the club is still moving through. But in this instance, I didn't move it through quite as steeply in a downward fashion. Okay. Yes, it was still moving down because at some point it was up in the air. So we're not going to say it wasn't moving down, but it's just it's not as steep as it was before. Long time ago, guy told me that um, you want to judge how much of a swing to put on a wedge for a chip shot or a pitch shot or whatever. Uh, yeah. said basically envision yourself throwing the ball underhanded to where you want it to land. Yeah, that's a very nice way to... Isn't way of going about that for a lot of people yeah there's a good visual in that you know you you can kind of pick that out that you can think of that easily in your head of just this underhand toss 
you know, that kind of helps people get the, the right amount of effort into the shot. So I think that, that that's a, a pretty accurate thing that you could say to an awful lot of folks that they could actually get the sense of it and reproduce it. So I like that. I feel free to use it at any time, man. Yeah, I've done that. <laughs> I think I was the guy that said that to you. But yeah. it was a long time ago. Yeah, it's been floating around there for, for quite a while, but that's, you know, that's all right. What about a, a pitching wedge pitching wedge? you ever use those close to the green in any? Yeah, sure do. It, you know, and, and there's another example of where you know, maybe I want it to roll out more. Maybe I want it to fly a little lower. You know, and maybe I'm going to keep the back of that golf ball in the middle, and I'm going to have my hands just barely tiny bit in front of the golf ball. And I'm just going to make my arms move back and forth, and it's more of a, um, a sweeping shot where your arms are moving low back and low all the way forward, but you've got a pitching wedge, so it pops it up into the air, but it doesn't have a lot of spin. Okay. So it doesn't you know, pop real high up into the air, but because it doesn't have a lot of spin on it, it'll roll out nicely. So, you know, I'll use all the way down to, you know, six irons and five irons and hybrids and whatnot. Just depends on what kind of shot I want. Yeah, well, let's that say starts, that that I got starts a long getting way confusing. Yeah, let's say I want to I run it there. Let's, maybe it's an uphill shot. Mm-hmm. And I can get a club on the back of the ball, and I don't have to throw it all the way up there in the air. Maybe if I want to, you know, kind of putt something with a, a, some loft on it. So it, it pops up in the air. You know, maybe it's, I'm using an 8-iron or something. It pops up into the air and flies about a third of the way there and rolls the other two-thirds because I used something that was really um, didn't have a lot of loft. So that's not a bad idea either. So I think people ought to... Do you still, kinda, use, do you still use a putting stroke, basically, or with you know, well, stiff wrists and stuff, or do you break your wrists like regular swing and... You know, I've, I've taught it both ways, and okay. I think that the more athletic a person is, the less I'm going to try to lock out some joints. Okay. You know, they've got some, you know, some hand-eye skills, and they've got some real, the ability to, to have touch. And, and I'll get them to, to talk and think like it's, you know, they're, they're using a sweeping arm back and forth, and we won't, might not mention it in the way that you'd say, hey, we want to putt this. At different levels of play, but what if they're a player that's kind of new to the game and doesn't have a lot of touch built in yet, you know, haven't developed it yet? I may be talking to them about using more bigger muscles and, and not using the hands as much. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, just from, let's give them some success early, because there's different shots that different levels of players, you know, should be playing. Yeah. You definitely. Know? Definitely our boy, and, and I played with them all, too. Uh, you you weren't here to hear our painful round two weeks ago, and I won't go into that again, but just uh, I know whereof you speak, my man. We are going to be right back. We are those weekend golf guys. Lots more good stuff coming up. Don't move. And those weekend golf guys, be back. John Ashton here, Jeff Smith there, intrepid producer Mark Hunter, the other side of the glass over there, looking and being mesmerized by all the flashing lights. Uh, let me let me get back to uh, what we were talking about before uh, we took that quick break uh, on the on the wedge situation. How many wedges do you carry in your bag? I have four. Um, okay, you know I, I've got a pitching wedge, I got a gap wedge, yeah. a lob wedge, and then and a sand wedge. I, I need a gap wedge on because yeah. I'm not even talking about around the green. Close up. I'm talking about you know full full shots with the wedges. My pitching wedge goes 115, 120. My sand wedge goes about 100. Lob wedge will do about 80. Yes, yeah, so you got issues, don't you? I have a gap. That yardage a lot. <laughs> 
when that's I have like when I'm 110 yards away from the green, I got nothing. Yeah, <laughs> you know? right. That's like taking a, a you know a nine iron out of your bag. You know, you just you're missing one in the sequence. Yeah. For most people, that's a full swing club, and you don't want to have one of those missing. No, and and I but I don't know what to give up because sometimes I play with sticklers who go, wait a minute, you got 15 clubs in that bag, boy. Do I'm just, sorry. Do you, do you just look at them? And go, um, yeah, yeah. You know what I get? You know what I ought to give you? I have this uh, certificate that you can keep in your golf bag and give it to these guys. It's a it's a congratulations. You've now graduated from the third grade certificate. <laughs> <laughs> and you know you could do that if you wanted to. <laughs> but, but you know, in our conversation, we. You were you were saying you got the four and and you don't carry a whole lot of fairway woods because I, I got a driver a three and a five wood, I got a three and a four hybrid and then five through, you know, pitching wedge irons and then a sand wedge lob wedge. Right. So I think what you have to do is kind of evaluate your own game from the the set of tees you play from on the courses you play and and think to yourself, what are the odds of me actually using this club and it mattering to my score a lot? Sometimes I you know I carry a driver of course. Um, but I carry, sometimes I swap back and forth between a four wood and a hybrid. Right. Depending on the golf course. Right. Yeah. If I'm not going to have a lot of drivers off of holes because there's a lot of dog legs or whatnot, the four wood goes back in the bag. Okay. And the reason that it does is because it's going to replace my driver on a, on a handful of holes. Yeah. If I've got, you know, one of those golf courses that's a, you know, just kind of a long, long golf course where I'm pretty much going to use the driver almost all day. Uh, the odds of me hitting the four wood within that round of golf are probably down to about two shots. Hmm. So I'll put the hybrid in the bag because I'll probably have more at the hybrid distance than I will at the three wood off the ground or the four wood off the ground distance. I guess the question then would, the, would what that statement would beg the question is what is the hybrid distance for you? Um, my hybrid's about two to two twenty. Okay. Wow. Okay. And I'll have, you know, and uh, it's a four hybrid. And then I go down to my, my four iron, which is about my 190 to 200 club. Okay. I don't have uh, three or four irons. I have just the hybrids. And, right. um, you know, my three hybrid right now basically serves as the post I hang my towel with a hole in the middle of it on. <laughs> um. I mean, so, I, I pull that sucker out so maybe. That would be the, yeah, so that would yeah. probably be the one that you would get rid of then, right? Yeah, yeah. Because I just kind of told you which clubs I would get rid of, but you just told me yeah. that you really have a club in your bag that's basically a waste of space. It is. I, I don't use it much at all. Um, I don't hit it any better. My four, I hit better. I just feel more confident with the four hybrid than the three for some reason. I don't know. It's all mental. I understand. It's okay. Yeah, I understand that. It's okay if you're not going to pull it out for whatever reason. Physical or or mental, it's okay. Put it in the trunk. Anybody want to buy a Ping Rapture three hybrid? <laughs> How about I trade you straight up for a for a gap wedge? That's a good idea. Yeah, that's a good idea. It'd certainly be more functional for you. It would. Yeah. It would because I am finding again because of the tutelage of one Mister Jeff Smith, I am finding myself much more closer on most every hole now than I used to be. The drives are going further, farther. I'm hitting longer drives. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're, you know... Closer to the hole. Closer to the hole and not, you know, not having to come out from between trees and stuff like that. Um, although the four hybrid, man, I am getting really good at, at that 
save yourself shot if you are in the trees, find a little bit of a gap and just punch it through with the four hybrid? Sure. Uh, that's, that's, that's a necessary shot. People should practice that. Um, yeah, I agree because they, they, they don't have a lot of loft on them, so you can get it up you know, knee-high pretty easily yeah. without having it climb too high in the first, say, you know, 50 yards to 100 yards of the shot, which is really pretty important Yeah, to be able to hit one about you know, head-high, so to speak. Right, keep it under the branches. Yeah, and so that it does roll out Yeah, and goes where you want to. Yeah. It's a real good idea to practice that stuff. Yeah, it is, you know... Don't don't do it for the first time in the golf course because, well, what what's the uh, what's the Scottish expression? You were Which telling one? us earlier about uh, how to take care of an injury to your oh yeah to the goonies goonies yeah that's yeah. right yeah how to survive the being hit by the goon being hit in the goonies yeah well you know you you take that four that four iron or hybrid whichever and hit it incorrectly and actually hit one of those trees. And Mr. It comes back and hits you in the Goonies. Yeah, that Irish guy, Rick O'Shea, is going yeah. to uh, <laughs> is going to take care of you there. So what happens? What do you do? You know, if you get hit in the Goonies, what? I mean, you, you mean you know, be certainly so, you're going to hit the ground. Besides, right? besides fall down and cry, I don't know. <laughs> well, <laughs> I've never gotten beyond the falling down and crying part. <laughs> <laughs> I would think that you would probably, you know, like not walk around. Yeah. I would think you'd probably, you know, maybe like get a cold can of Coke or, or your beer and kind of kind of cool down the the offending <laughs> the offended area, you know. Uh-huh. Or or just I, say I probably would be sure to not apply very much pressure at go, that point. Go on without me, I'll catch up <laughs> if I survive. Yeah. <laughs> How about this one? You know, if 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 the uh if the pain is significant, which, of course, we all could imagine that being the case. Oh, man. I mean, it hurts just to think about this And And, and the pain scenario. does not subside within a few minutes. Uh-huh. You may want to <laughs> make sure that there's not any major league long-term damage. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like I'm going to do that on the golf course. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me, bud, but does this look right to you? <laughs> no, that ain't happening. <laughs> yeah. I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. How about this one? If the pain lasts more than, say, a half an hour, uh-huh. you know, you may want to seek attention. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I would do... I Appropriate would, I would seek, attention. I would, yeah, I would seek medical yeah. attention at that point. Right. As opposed <laughs> to just seeking attention. That's right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think yeah. that's probably how to survive getting hit in the goonies. Oh, man. <laughs> It's just it's 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 you know it sounds funny, but I have seen it happen to people. Maybe not necessarily the Goonies, but I mean some other substantially easy, easily broken pieces of your anatomy. Did you just sit back and roll in laughter? And you know, I'm afraid I did. As Shakespeare said, "There's something there's something within us that delights at the misfortune of our friends." But you can't help it, man. Somebody hits, especially when they hit this great shit. You hear it. You know, you see this shot, and and the swing looks so good, and you hear the contact with the ball, and it sounds so good, and then immediately thereafter, you hear the clack as it hits the tree. That's funny right there. That's right. right. And you're always looking around going, where'd it go? Where'd it go? Uh, Spoken like a true friend. Yeah. I mean, come on. 
<laughs> spoken like a true guy who's got a buck on the line. On that, on that <laughs> got him on this one. That's now. right. That's Helps right. on the <laughs> way. <laughs> All right. And you, in, in there you go, the momentum has shifted. <laughs> Here's a cold. Whoa, no, that's my last beer. No, you're on your own, buddy. <laughs> As you open it up. <laughs> Guzzling half of it as quickly as you can, so that you get it over to him. No, no, let me see if he can spill the rest of it out on his feet while he's <laughs> writhing in pain. Yeah, sitting on the ground, just rocking back and forth, trying not to cry in front of his buddies. <laughs> oh man, no, I've gotten I've gotten hit in the shoulder. That's the only place I Rick Ricochet hit me in the shoulder once, and that smarted for quite a while. So yeah. uh, getting hit in 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 a very um uh well let's say something something a little more sensitive than your shoulder yeah you know getting hit in your st- or you know getting hit in the face or the throat or something like that that could be dangerous man that could be dangerous yeah you imagine that could probably kill somebody i would imagine so this is why you would need to practice with that uh you know that that four iron let's get out of the woods maybe you should still use the foot wedge if you're the least bit uh questioning right. whether or not you can do this correctly well because you know most people they don't want to wear a a cup to play golf in so yeah it's totally unnecessary <laughs> helmet <laughs> yeah. that's right safety goggles <laughs> can you imagine a guy rolling, rolling into the golf course and putting on a helmet? <laughs> goalie mask and a helmet and those big gloves i'm ready <laughs> Let's hit them. How funny would that be? And we're ready for some more stuff, too. We got the, you got guys on the porch. They're taking bets. <laughs> <laughs> we, we've got uh, some more conversational tidbits to throw out at you as we're coming right back. We're all those weekend golf guys. Don't move. Yeah, we got more time. Don't you move anywhere. We are those weekend golf guys. It's John Ashton in studio. It's Jeff Smith in the golf cave at Otter Creek. It is Mark Hunter and Trevor, producer at the controls. And it is you hanging intently, waiting for Jeff to say something that is going to magically make you a scratch golfer. So say something Pencil. magical. Pencil. Pencil. <laughs> Eraser. <laughs> Second scorecard. <laughs> Here's the one we're playing with, and here's the one we're taking home. <laughs> oh, man. Here we go. I'm able now, especially like on par fives and stuff, um, I'm able to get within 100 yards for my third shot at least. You know, that, that that's really what all you have to do when playing a par five. Yeah. You know, you, you hit one off the tee. Lots of people sit there and go, I got to hit the biggest shot ever because I got to get home in two. I got to put myself in that position. And I'm like, wait a minute. No, you really don't. No. You hit one straight shot and then one, one, you know, medium medium quality struck shot and another medium quality struck shot, both straight, you're inside of 125 yards. Yes, you are. And if somebody said to you, you're going to play a par three golf course on for four holes that you're going to be on this hole, you're going to have 125-yard par threes. You're licking your chops. Yep. You're thinking that par is the worst score you're going to make on yep. that hole. Yep. Yep. And yet I see so many people butcher a par five because they instantly think they have to hit it farther. 
Yep. Just because the hole's longer, like you forgot they gave you an extra stroke. Yeah, that's why they call it a par five. Yeah. yeah. So the best chance to have your best score is always with a short, controllable club in your hand yeah. coming into that green. Yeah. All the time. You know, and then there's that whole thought about, oh, well, you know, there's studies done, and the guy out on that studies the PGA Tour on the strokes gained characteristics is that it's always how close you can get to the green because – they're making the assumption that the average player also has a good 50-yard wedge, which they don't. Mm-hmm. No. Pros do. Yeah. So if they get it up there a little closer, it actually is the same or helpful. But a lot of times, the regular guy, he needs full swing shots coming in to, the, to these holes yeah, instead of these partial shots because they can't do it because they don't practice it. We don't practice it enough. We, we're not in the, in the situation enough. Uh, amen right. to that, brother. Yeah. Amen to that. Um, who in the right mind tries to have, I want a 35-yard shot. If this is the average player, he does not want a 35-yard shot ever. Yeah, because he has no idea what to do. No. You know, I got four wedges. What, what do I hit? You know, and I got brother-in-law, and he's got a 35-yard shot. He's pulling out a seven iron and, and putting it. I go, okay, whatever, whatever. Um, let me ask you a question. I've, I've been playing with some people, and, and I have noticed one of the things that has happened, again, because of your tutelage, mm-hmm. is that I don't leave ball marks on the greens. I leave craters. <laughs> you're playing on some pretty soft greens then aren't you well and they, these balls are coming down i mean i hit i hit my irons especially you know from seven up um do i have to pay anybody royalty for saying that from from no. my seven iron on up higher um i hit them very high and i guess i've got some pretty big spin on them too because when they come down they basically stop or maybe hit and then bounce a couple of feet in some direction right uh, but not very far and the the I'd go up there and there's there's a flap of grass that's pushed to the back side of the ball, or actually it would have been the front side of the ball when it when it hit the green that yeah. I that I have to fix. And I don't see a whole lot of other people I do see other people doing it that don't take the time to fix the ball mark. What are you thinking? Um Yeah. But they uh, don't. Am I doing it right or doing it wrong? Or overdoing it? Because anything worth doing is worth overdoing, so. Well, to a point. Okay. To a point. I mean, let's think about it in terms of, you know, like eating pizza. Okay. I love to go eat pizza. Yeah. But I could easily go overdo that. Yeah. So, I like to have a, a beer every once in a while, and I could overdo that, too. And you have on many an occasion. Well, that's been a, quite a while. <laughs> that's been... Uh, Back in the day. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. As they say. I got gotcha. you. Yeah, that's your story now, anyhow, man. I'll swear to it. I'm sticking to it. Yep. <laughs> so, you know, in terms of you know striking the golf ball, getting a big high trajectory on it, coming down, having some spin, it's what you want. Okay. You're looking to throw the ball up into the air so that it comes down at a good trajectory without the wind messing with it. Yeah. And, you know, so it's not just floating up there, but, it, you know, it's well struck and it's high and it's piercing. That means you hit it high and you hit it far. Yes. And if it comes down at an angle that makes, you know, as you mentioned, it's like craters, well, certainly it had enough spin to hold its position, maybe move backwards a little bit. But nonetheless, you know, certainly the, the greens are softer. You wouldn't have a crater. 
Right. But no, right. nonetheless, the angle that's coming in is pretty steep, which means you can kind of throw darts now. Yeah. You know, you can throw it. You know, if you got a back pin, you can feel free to to throw it three fourths the way back there and have a, a slightly uphill putt, and you're in good shape. Yeah, I, I have found it to be so much easier for for a you know a mathematical standpoint for you know a figuring ciphering standpoint. Um, basically, I, I've I've practiced enough. Yes, there's that word, man. Not only do yep. I use the word, but I use the technique. But I have practiced enough now to have a pretty good idea how far I'm going to hit my irons. Yeah. And so That's, you need that. Yeah. That is that is very important. One, once you get over the the shock and awe of hitting a seven iron 165 yards when it's only supposed to be 150, and then realizing that you can do it on a somewhat consistent basis, you go, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to like refigure this entire bag out now. Yeah. But it is doable. So I'm doing it right then. I'm not doing it wrong. I thought maybe it was supposed no, to happen, Jim. No, I, I think you're, you know, I, I think, you know, you got to realize what you're landing it on is pretty soft. Yeah. You know, if it was landing on something that was firmer, you'd get a big bounce and release a little bit. But if you're, you know, if they've, uh, if they've got a lot of water on the greens to keep them going, you know, healthy and whatnot in the, uh, in the middle of the summer, you know, I think you've got to realize that it's about what you're landing it on too. Okay. Let's real quick in the few minutes we have left. Uh, I know we don't talk about the pros a whole lot, but next weekend's a Ryder Cup. And like they say, it's not golf, it's the Ryder Cup. Um, as of this morning, I have not heard the final pick. It's like I heard last time it was between Justin Thomas, our buddy, and uh, Bubba. But people don't want Bubba because they say he's not a team player. But yeah, I've then, read that. Even though you're playing in teams, golf is really not a team sport, is it? Well, it, uh, until you get to a format like this, it is definitely not a team sport. Even if you're playing on a college team, right? You know, certainly, you know, on a high school team, certainly the decision you make um, affects your fellow players in terms of does your team win from the from the aggregate score. So you have to pay attention to that. But uh, you know, but mostly golf is an individual sport. Yeah. Here we are talking about the Ryder Cup, and you are talking about spending time with someone. You're talking about the chemistry in the room. You know, you're talking about who wants to play with whom. You want to talk about whose games match up well with other people's games because, you know, there is that alternate shot format that always seems to mess with us. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, so there is that point where, you know, you've got to mat- have good matchups. And right, so, right. you know, if they're saying one player doesn't fit, well, maybe maybe they're right. I don't know. Yeah. I've, I've even read, you know, stuff like... Uh, you know Tiger Woods being the uh, the assistant captain. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's I've been reading some things about the possibility of actually having him be the final pick and be a playing captain from a you know a surprise maybe intimidation factor or whatever. I, you know I even read that. So uh, there's all kinds of things going on out there. If that happens, I would be completely hopefully, stunned. Hopefully, he got enough game back to actually be intimidating. Well, you know, there, certainly, you know, you know, he's certainly untested, mm-hmm. but he's no stranger to competition. That's true. And he's not going to fold under pressure. We know that. No, I'm still... But at the same time, we just don't know if his game is that at that kind of a level to even be worthy of consideration for that in a captain's pick format. But uh, I'm still you know, pushing for Justin Thomas. I would. I would. Yeah, local you know, boy. Kids, kids played very well. You know, know his dad. 
you know, maybe could get some free tickets. Who knows? You know, I mean. Now you got J.B. Holmes, you could have two guys from the state of Kentucky. Well, that'll put us on the map, won't it, huh? Sure would. You'd be known for a little bit more than the than the bucket. And the uh, bourbon. And the bourbon. Yeah. Right. Cold beans. All right. As we have as we have mentioned uh, repeatedly on this show and often, please go to thoseweekendgolfguys.com. While you're there, scroll down the homepage to the bottom where there's a little send a message form and get in contact with Jeff or, or any of us if you have any kind of questions or anything like that. Um, go to facebook.com slash golfguys. Like us there. You can also get through to Jeff there. Upload videos at both of those locations. And then follow us on Twitter at WKNDGolfGuys. Remember to hang out. Oh, we are powered by Golf Talk America, the Golf Talk America Network on Audioboom.com. I forgot to mention that last week, and I have been severely chastised. I apologize. I believe that you didn't get to say Audio Boom. Golf Talk America Network, Audioboom.com. Those weekend golf guys, it is us. Hey, go play some golf.